0: Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, where you'll learn everything you need to know to buy the perfect dental practice, all for free, and all in less than 20 minutes an episode. Learn more about your host, author, presenter, and coach to hundreds of successful dental practice buyers by visiting Brianhanks.com. Welcome to Practice Purchased, episode number seven. We're talking about analyzing a practice. This is the fun one. This is the type of conversation that a lot of buyers want to have with me. They want to get right into the numbers. So today, Practice Purchase Podcast, we're talking episode seven about analyzing a practice from the quantitative perspective that we're going to talk specific numbers in this episode. Okay, but before we talk numbers, there are a couple things you're going to need as foundational pieces before I get into five numbers that you can look at to analyze a practice. Okay, the uh, the. Two pieces of foundational information are you're <laughs> you're going to need some actual financials of the practice you're looking at. So, physically tangibly or in an email account somewhere, you're going to need a valuation, you're going to need some tax returns or what are called P&Ls, P&Ls, that's short for profit and loss. Now, those are a version of tax returns, they give you roughly the same information. I'm not going to go into detail about the differences between those other than to say you need them. You need some actual numbers from the practices you're looking at to decide whether or not you're going to purchase. Okay, Now, when I do the, the second piece of information or foundational information you're going to need to do a numbers analysis of the practice is the knowledge and ability to be able to do what's called ad backs. Add backs are essentially separating the taxable pieces of dentist's financials From the actual business, the underlying business and the underlying financial results taking place. A dentist will want to report a certain number to the IRS versus uh, the actual number he's going to take home and and use to go to the movies and pay for that Tesla and all the fun stuff. Uh, So there's a difference between the numbers you report to the IRS and the the actual numbers, the foundational profitable numbers of a practice. When you do an add back, all you're doing is you're adding back tax-related items that you took on a P&L or a tax return for the purposes of lowering your taxable income. Okay? So with those two foundational pieces of information, you can look at five numbers to get a sense of whether or not a practice is a good one to look at. Now, when I am doing a practice purchase analysis for a client, I send them back a 30-plus page report on lots of stuff, many of which are numeric or numbers based or can fit easily in a spreadsheet. We're not going to get all the way into enough detail for you to be able to reproduce the report that I give to clients. But, but using Pareto's law, I'm going to give you 80% of the value of a report like that in this episode for free. Okay. So the five numbers that I want you to look at, begin with number one and the first number and, and, some argue is the only number. <laughs> I'm going to give you some more. But a lot of people think that the number one uh, and the only number you need to look at for a practice is collections, okay? How much money is the practice bringing in? Not production, actual dollars that are flowing into the checking account of the owner of a dental practice. Now, my recommended a minimum amount that you look at for a dental practice that you want to buy for the vast majority of you listening to this episode is $800,000. A million dollars in collections would be even better. I wouldn't, in almost every case, look at practices collecting less than $800,000. Practices that collect at least $800,000 tend to have good systems. They tend to have a solid staff. They tend to have a decent location and the foundational elements of a good business. On top of being well-run, they're obviously bigger from a financial perspective, and they're going to have the type of take-home income that most buyers are interested in. A very common mistake, very, very common mistake that I see buyers take as they're starting their journey towards practice ownership is that they will look at the amount that they have in student loans, 300 dollars $400,000, $600,000, and they'll think to themselves, holy cow, I know I want to buy a practice, but I can't go more into debt than I already that I already am. Okay, fine, I'll look for a practice, Brian, but I'm going to look for a deal. I'm going to look for that practice collecting 400, 500, maybe $600,000 and try to get a really good deal because that feels safer to me. And I'm here to tell you that that is um it's an understandable mistake, but it's still a mistake. You're reacting emotionally to the fact that you have a lot of student loan debt and you don't want to bring on a lot of practice debt too. But counterintuitively, the best way to pay down those student loans and to get out from underneath your debts is to have a good, decent collecting practice that's collecting at least $800,000 or more so that you have the income to be able to pay off those debts. Okay. Go for the practice collecting 800 plus. It's, an, it's a mathematical decision, not an emotional one. But I'll tell you that another reason to look for the bigger practices is that banks have a much harder time underwriting the small practices. Um, talk to any practice broker out there who has had a listing for a practice collecting. Uh, the joke in the industry is the 350, the, the practice collecting $350,000 a year. Um, and the bro- joke among brokers that they're impossible to sell. Uh, because they're generally crappy practices. So generally, small practices are small for a reason. Um, Maybe it's bad demographics. Maybe it's the location is poor. Maybe uh, a competitor has come in and taken the patient base. Maybe it's an older dentist who just held on too long. But there's usually a reason that a small practice is small. And if you as the buyer are thinking that the reason the small practice is small is because the selling dentist is so much dumber than you. (laughs) And I use the word dumber on purpose to make the point. Um, It's it's almost certainly not true, okay? The selling dentist almost certainly is at least as smart, if not far smarter than you, uh, given their business experience, and the chance that you are gonna find the deal, the practice that's only collecting 500, but with two small tweaks, next year is gonna collect $1.2 million. Is minuscule. Okay. I want you to go look for the big practices. Yes, it's harder. Yes, it's going to be more difficult, but they're going to be the practices that have the good systems, the good staff, the good location, um, the types of things that you want as a practice owner. Okay. So, number one, the number one number to look for in a dental practice that you're looking to buy is collections, 800K or more, preferably a million plus. Number two, The second number you wanna pay attention to is profit. Profit is how much money is left over for you as the owner. Now, do you know the average overhead of uh, dental practices in the US? So the average overhead for dental practice in the US, and this is an average across all specialties and across um, the entire country, 61.7%. It's gonna be a little bit higher you based you know if you have a practice that uh, is doing certain procedures can be a little bit lower for you pedo offices out there some OMS offices Um, but on average the average dentist is keeping just under 40 percent of every dollar 40 cents of every dollar that comes into their practice okay so a little terminology lesson here overhead is a fancy way to say expenses okay Expenses are the types of things that you need to pay or pay for to be able to run your practice. Okay. The big one is obviously employees, but there's lab fees, dental supplies, your computers, your rent, your utilities, all the things that require you to pull out your wallet or your credit card or whatever. Those are expenses, or another word is just overhead. Okay. Um, Profit is whatever's left. Okay. So if a, a practice has. 60% 60% overhead, it has 40% profit. Okay, the two are two sides of the same coin. And here's where addbacks come into play. You'll remember that addbacks are the numbers that you add back to the profit reported to the IRS. Um, if you've ever heard or read articles that talk about um, a, a six-letter acronym that doesn't seem to make any sense, this is where you'll hear it. The acronym is EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A. Okay, EBITDA, or EBIT, I've heard EBITDA, and that stands for earnings before. Okay, earnings—that's profit. Your the money you're going to keep as an owner. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Those are four examples of common addbacks, but they're not the only ones. And so profit is analogous to, or roughly equal to EBITDA. Okay, so when you next time you read the article or you listen to the podcast that talks about EBITDA, you'll know exactly what that means. EBITDA is just the money that's left over for an owner after paying the expenses of the practice. And the number you need to look for here is around that average. Now my recommendation for you is to not buy a practice that has overhead above 65% or profit below 35%. Now this is a tough one to get right because the addbacks are so unique and specific, but here are some of the basics you need to know. Okay? Any expense related to the owner can be added back to whatever the practice reported to the IRS as profit, okay? So I had a dentist call me this morning and he said, "Hey, I'm looking at this practice, it's collecting $924,000, but I'm concerned. At the bottom of the page it says the net income is only $24,000." So, collecting nine twenty-four profit of only twenty-four, yikes! Nine hundred thousand dollars in expenses, and I had to tell the dentist, no, 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 no! You have to add back the owner-related items in order to get the true sense of the profit. The profit, the actual profit, the dentist didn't actually just make twenty-four thousand dollars, because you have to add back everything related to just the doctor. Okay, so that's going to be salary, payroll taxes. Payroll taxes for the doctor, not the staff, but salary and payroll taxes for the doctor. Any pension or 401k expenses related to the doctor specifically. Meals and entertainment, car, travel, interest. Okay, The doctor's interest, not yours, right? The doctor had loans on equipment or maybe the building or something like that. And then depreciation and amortization. I'll just briefly tell you the the, um, the definition of those uh, is is expenses you get, the IRS forces you to take over time for an asset that's going to last you longer than a year. So a computer is potentially going to last you longer than a year. So the IRS says, hey, you can't expense the entire value of the computer in the year you bought it. You have to spread it out over the useful life of that item. So anything in a dental practice that you buy that can last longer than a year, generally over a thousand bucks, you have to um, what they call depreciate or amortize. And that is a number that gets, uh, that gets added back to the net income, okay? It's a little tricky, it's a little hairy. This is an area that I highly recommend getting help for. But if you're a buyer and you get a tax return or a PL, you could quickly look and say, well, what, what did they tell the IRS we made? What's the dentist salary? What's the depreciation interest? All the things that you're going to add back. And you can get a decent sense of what the profitability would be in a practice. I do recommend you get some help, some professional help to get the actual number, but if you're just trying to orient yourself and figure out whether or not this is a decent practice to be looking at, now you know how. Okay, let's talk about item number three, the third number to pay attention to, staff costs, and the benchmarks around those. But before I do, I want to say that probably the most helpful thing for me when I was learning this process, and as I teach other dentists this process of analyzing a practice from the perspective of the numbers and understanding the taxes, the accounting, um, all the number related things in a practice, nothing beats seeing this in, in action, seeing the financials, looking at an actual spreadsheet and seeing where the numbers from a tax return would go into uh, a spreadsheet of a practice you're trying to analyze. Um, which is why I created the course, uh, the online course that um, is called the Practice Purchase Blueprint, where I analyze three real dental practices, real financials, real tax returns, and the real spreadsheet. You get to watch over my shoulder as I take the numbers from the financials and I talk about whether or not I'm adding them back and, and why and how and where the numbers go and how you get to an actual, um, the actual sense of the profitability of a practice. Okay, And by the way, if you just want to practice this process, the first analysis is the first module in the course, and that is completely free. It's available for every, anybody, anytime. You don't have to pay a dollar for it. You can check that out at the practice, uh, excuse me, practicepurchaseblueprint.com, no the, practicepurchaseblueprint.com. So the third number we're paying attention to are staff costs. Why are we paying attention to staff costs? There's so many expenses in a dental practice. Well, the reason is staff costs are by far the largest expense in any dental practice. Okay, so if, you are looking at a practice, and the profitability is around benchmarks. It's somewhere between 35 and 40%. You want to pay attention to how much the doctor's paying their people, her people. Okay. Now, staff costs includes salary, payroll taxes, benefits like 401k or simple IRAs, and then any other fringe benefits offered like health insurance. Those are the big ones. Sometimes you'll see CE or uniforms included in that, but on the grand scale of things, salary, payroll taxes, pension benefits, health insurance are going to be the big ones. And uh, your staff is your busy- biggest expense. And the number you want to shoot for here is 28 to 32 percent of collections. So if you take, you add up all the salary, payroll taxes, pension benefits, all that stuff. You add it together. Take that number, divide it into that year's collections. You want it to fall in the the, the range of 28 to 32 percent. That's your sweet spot. Above that, and you're looking at a possible, eh, you're looking at a less profitable practice for sure than averages, but you're potentially looking at a troubled practice. Okay, and here's why, here's the case. Um, You might tell me, hey Brian, I wanna pay my people a lot. I want them to be happy. Happy employees make happy patients and um, happy employees are gonna bring more people in. They're gonna have great things to say. Isn't that a good thing? And my answer is that there appears, (laughs) based on the numbers, to be no correlation between how much a dentist is paying their people and the results that they see in the dental practice in terms of new patients, patient reviews, um, treatment acceptance, all of those things. Almost every case that I see where a dentist is overpaying people or hired too many people is simply a case of a dentist not managing their business as effectively as the average dentist in the US. I won't pass judgment, but I will say that as I've talked with a few sellers, I will often hear a seller say, you know what, Brian? I knew I was three, two to three years away from retiring. My assistant came in and I asked for a raise, and I didn't wanna have the tough, tough conversation. So I just said, sure, here's a raise, because I knew that I was gonna be selling the practice. So now you as the buyer are looking at increased overhead as a result. And that's a tough one to change immediately as a buyer so pay attention to staff costs keep them 28 to 32 percent ideally number four item number four lab fees and dental supplies this one's easy okay i want you to have a combined ratio so lab fees plus dental supplies 10 to 13 percent of collections and this is going dif- to differ slightly based on specialty and production mix and things like that so i'm i'm more open to wiggle room on this number uh, but this one is is very important because this is a variable expense. Accountants call this a variable expense. In other words, the more dentistry you do, the more lab fees and dental supplies you will use, and the the easier it is for you as a buyer to be able to tell how well a dentist is managing that. Item number five is an important one, and, and that is the rent, the building costs. Okay, This number is key because it's fixed. This, unlike... Lab, de- lab fees and dental supplies, which go up and down with the amount of production you're doing, rent is fixed, and it's fixed forever, or if you buy the building, the cost of the building. It never goes down. In fact, most leases have what are called elevators built into the lease that automatically raise your rent every year by 2 to 3% in most cases, the rate of inflation. So what I want you to watch for as you're looking at dental practice for sale is facilities costs, building costs, so that includes rent, repairs, uh, utilities, and upkeep, things like security, groundskeeping could be included in that, of preferably 7 to 8% of collections, but certainly less than 10 And now that's going to be geography specific. You're calling me from downtown San Francisco, downtown New York. Your number is going to be tougher to get under 10%, and I understand that. So those are your five numbers, collections, profit, staff costs, lab fees, dental supplies, and rent uh, rent and building expenses. Other numbers to possibly pay attention to would be advertising and legal expenses or one-time things like a consultant. Now, if you have questions about this process, please email me directly, brian at brianhanks.com. That's Brian with an I, brianhanks.com. And please let your friends know about the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. I really appreciate you joining me today. Thanks for listening to the Practice Purchased Podcast. For more information about Brian's best selling book, How to Buy a Dental Practice, or about the Practice Purchase Blueprint course, visit brianhanks.com.